awesome nerds, and welcome to another episode of D&D and TV, the weekly podcast where we rewatch and recap television shows we really enjoy and talk about how the themes, concept, and characters could be used in different role-playing games. I am your host, Jeremy. This week, we are talking about episodes 9 and 10 of That Time I Got Reincarnated as Slime, or as we call it, That Time Slime, uh, and I am joined by the Compton Caleb, who is currently standing in a field, holding a hand up, and just summoning black flame. It's a bit concerning, to be fair. Yeah, it's uh, a little bit intimidating, a little bit, uh, you know, but, you know, you got to do what you got to do. you got to, sometimes there is the, the non-violent route to encounters. Yeah, I was, um, I was wondering what I would choose to describe you in this, and it was either going to be that or creating a double of yourself so you can stare at yourself. And that was a little weird, like, that, it's that a sequence. Weird, but at the same time, I mean... If if you ain't got mirrors around, if mirrors haven't been properly invented in your region, then you gotta you gotta do what you gotta do. That's a good point. I hadn't actually thought of that. That um yeah, maybe it's just not not mirrored. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh still creepy. <laughs> still creepy. But thankfully, yeah. um I, I am self aware enough to turn around and be like, you know what? It's 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 much less weird when they're genderless. And yeah, that that made it a bit easier. Actually, mm. it was like, "Hi, you're just a Kendall." Exactly, um, exactly. Um, yeah, was still that whole thing with it, it had to happen at some point. This is this is an anime. I am aware of of certain tropes in an anime, and if somebody has an ability to switch bodies, they're going to look at themselves naked. That's been the case. That, that's said, that, like mm. definitely around about the point where he was just like. Oh wait, no! I'm actually technically using someone else's body. Uh, no, 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 no. <laughs> I know. I was, not... I was quite pleased by that. Actually, I was like, oh, you know, you know he's he's being nice and um, he's being like, what do you call um, respectful. Yeah, we we stand uh... a a genderless boy slime. <laughs> We do. I, I appreciated that it was a genderless um, boy slime that Jeez. seems to, yeah, it was fun. Um, but just, it, should, it's, uh... it's so anime. It's so anime. Oh, uh, and it, it's, this whole thing is so anime. It's just kind of brushed over like, cool, we're going to do that thing and then we're done with it. Yep, we're just we going to keep done. moving on with plot because not much happens in these episodes. In fact, I'm just going to do away with the synopsis altogether because they are yeah. useless. Um, yeah. Basically. In the end, it's more based around what characters we come across. Or introduced but... to, yeah. Mm. Uh, boiling down to this episode, the village is going great. Uh, some ogres show up. They uh, fight, and then they're friends. And then we see some lizard people, and um, they're on their way. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> That's the entire episode. No, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, it is very much a low-key one, which um, honestly is also something that can happen in D&D as well. Yeah. You have yeah. this uh, session or two that there's no dice rolls. There's nothing. Um, and it's literally just getting to know NPCs, getting to know the new characters, the new environment, the new status quo. Well, it struck me as a downtime episode. Like the first, um, a lot of it was discovering new abilities. It was Rimuru finding out, hey, I can turn into a person again. And then it was going into the cave and like experimenting with the new skills that he'd learned from Shizu. And even and down to, well. yeah, and Ifrit as well. And just that idea of when you level up, you do need a bit of downtime. Like, you need to understand how the skills work. And this isn't necessarily just for D&D. It's for any sort of role-playing game that has a leveling or a progression system that you do have to... Like, there's the fiction involved of why you're getting better at things or why you're learning things. Mm -hmm. And this is just a, a nice way of explaining that. Just saying, yeah, I had some downtime, so I went and studied and I figured out some new skills and, like, put two skills together and I was able to do something else. And yeah, that kind of makes sense of why you're getting new abilities. Absolutely. Um, especially in somewhere like D&D, where the difference between a couple of levels, especially at the start, can mean a whole bunch of abilities that 
you are now suddenly having to reckon with. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And it's like, why are you suddenly able to like hit harder or hit twice? And it's like, well, yeah, because I've been doing this for like seven months. I've figured out how I can fire two arrows much quicker. Exactly. Um, and that's actually something very interesting. Um, so normally we find with leveling up, there is a certain degree of why does this character suddenly know how to do this thing? So the one that comes most quickly to mind is the artificer who essentially is suddenly now given access to all these magic items when they level up. Um, and it could be a situation where suddenly, oh, time has passed and I've acquired all this nonsense. Uh, how do you handle um, leveling up, especially when it comes to certain abilities that might have a little bit more of a tangible impact on the day-to-day -day. i think this is where milestone experience kind of works best for um mm -hmm. for that because it does kind of require that you have achieved something and you now have downtime because of it so with an mm -hmm. artificer you are studying and you are learning things and you are having to build these magical items that you've suddenly figured out how they work like, it's yeah. not just, oh, I woke up this morning and everything works for me suddenly. It's like, no, no, you've taken some time and you've really studied how magic operates and you're realizing, oh, this is something I can do now. Mm. Uh, and I think, I think Artifice is particularly true for that. Absolutely. I think this is also where the players have to start now looking at the idea of a role-playing game, like trying to marry that mechanic and role-playing aspect for example let's say that there is an ability coming up uh, that may have some special connection to what's just happened you're taking it on not because it's the best min max option but rather it's something that will that would have helped in an earlier circumstance hmm. um to take that option and to sort of go okay well my character is feeling a little bit bad that they weren't able to participate in a in a certain way they can then now turn around and start learning this new ability uh, during this downtime yeah a little bit an, of another way to go about it as you say something like um they learn based on the the things that they've encountered like mm -hmm they weren't able to protect someone so they they gain that that ability based on that is that mm -hmm. what you you're saying that is one of the ways it can go absolutely mm -hmm. um, i particularly like um the powered by apocalypse rules for leveling up yeah which since work? it's it's very simple um because basically you're only rolling 2d6 most of the time and anything above a seven is a success mm. but any failure you get to mark experience yes so it really does kind of promote you sucked at a couple of things, but you learn from that experience and okay. you figure out ways to be better about it. That's really good. Like that's sort of a, a failing forward situation. Yeah. Yeah. And Learning. most of the ways that um, Powered by the Apocalypse do it, uh, there's new new ways of going about the standard things that you do. And it might be, hey, now when I do that thing that I normally do, someone else gets a benefit too, because I realize that's important to them. Absolutely. So it's not suddenly I hit you twice as hard. It's no, no, I assist someone else when I hit someone, because I've learned from not being able to do that before. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think that might actually have a lot of weight to it. You can learn a lot more from your failures. Just you know, in real life. So yeah. it would make sense to almost actually give maybe a little bit more experience in those situations where you sort of failed forward. Yeah, I think it's the important thing. It's like you get just as much experience from running away as you do from mm. from defeating something. Absolutely. I think Big. that's uh, what's, what we've sort of seen with um, Rimuru choosing to, you know, do a little bit of an encounter thing, but be like, look, I can I can finish this with an intimidation check. Yeah. Like I need to in the end I just need to fight them for long enough that my intimidation check works out. 
Yeah, and remove a few from the the equation. So yeah. it's more likely that um, they're not going to have their advantages. I mean, this is the, the good example that he does take down, was it three of them? Yes. Yeah, he, he removes four he removes four ogres from the six from the equation. So he can kind of confront two and the other two don't have their backup. So it's like, okay, I can talk with two of you. Like yeah. you're not gonna be all like egging each other on now. Yes, exactly. Or like thinking, yeah, no, we've we've got him outnumbered, you know, he's trying to trick us and all this sort of stuff. It's just like um well, that's what happens with Sheena. Sheena's just straight up like uh, no, dude, like if this person was working surreptitiously, then why, like he he's kicking our ass so hard right now that yeah. there's no reason for him to be going along this weaker route. In fact, I, I think I legitimately used that in one of my um, one shots where mm -hmm. uh, for um, Dungeons and Flagons, where essentially, you know, there's um, for the plot setup, someone who's poisoned. And these guards get a little bit overzealous, sort of being like, oh, you're right near the body. Get get away from the dead body. We're going to take you in, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And then eventually a character turns up and is just like, guys, this, this guy's clearly poisoned and these guys are kicking your asses. So yeah. why would they need to use poison when they can just straight They can just stab you. Like Yeah, they can just stab you. Yeah, it's like this is clear. These people are way overpowered for just murdering someone with poison. They yeah. they didn't do this. That sounds like uh, something from um, uh, stories from the Radiant Citadel. It sure is. Absolutely. Ah, that I is, see. I see. That, that's the I setup see. for um, Wages of Vice. Yes, so, I want to run that. Yeah, oh, it's a very very good adventure. Um, I do like to play it. Come to the intermediate tables at Dungeons mm. and Flagons. Like the sponsor, uh, yeah. Way to way to plug, slip that plug in. I did want to bring that up actually because that idea of basically guards of a town find a body with the player's character standing over it, and that misunderstanding of oh my god, you're the killers, we're going to take you in. I mean, that's kind of the misunderstanding with the ogres and Rimuru. Absolutely, like they're not fighting the goblins to kill. They're just like our oh, goblins need to be out of the way. So, well, except for Gobta, which I can understand why they attack Gobta. And like yeah, trying to cut him open, yeah, yeah. We we yeah, we want to deal with Gobta. Yeah, deal with Gobta. <laughs> um, but they they keep fighting. They're like, "You're the one that destroyed our village," and not really listening when Rimmer is like, "Um, I don't know what you're talking about." It's like, "No, you're evil." And that idea of your opponents, who should be your friends, yep. so consumed by rage that mm -hmm. they have to fight you. And I love that for D&D because it does kind of make the players go, well, look, I can't, I don't want to fight this person. Yeah. And they they might be trying to kill me, but killing them doesn't really serve a purpose. So maybe I don't try to kill them back. And it means you can have traditionally good creatures fighting the heroes, for want of a better word, because I'm very aware that most RPG and D&D groups are not heroes for a good portion of their, their gaming life. But it means you get to use some of those stat blocks like angels and um, and other celestials that most people don't really think of as combatants. Yeah, absolutely. I think the idea of an encounter um, as not just this black and white, I am fighting against something that's trying to, um, like, or something that's bad. Yeah. Uh, I think if you get out of that dichotomy, it will make your encounters a lot more interesting. Uh, it, it becomes less an idea of, okay, how do I win this? To, okay, how do I negotiate around this? And this is actually mm. where I start bringing, uh, when it comes to these sort of encounters in D&D, &D, it's where I bring in sort of the uh, the pie chart mm. or the, um, the little segments I can't remember what system this is stolen from. Um, I remember seeing it on TikTok. But essentially, you have these little... Uh, you, you get a circle and you divide it into certain segments. Uh, it could be like put in half or put in thirds or quarters, stuff like that. But for every single successful or semi-successful 
persuasion or intimidation or stuff like that in those sort of scenarios, you color in one of the segments. And once it's all filled up, that's when that's all finished up. So it doesn't become this all or nothing check to try and talk them down. And if you fail, well, there we go. Let's just start hitting each other for the rest of the thing. It becomes more a situation of let's like they're moving towards that conclusion. Oh, you cut out there. Actually. Oh, did I cut um, there? A little bit. Uh, it's fine now. So, yeah, I like that as because you can do that during combat as well. If you've got someone who's like really gung-ho, someone who really wants to get to grips with it, you can have those conversations in combat. You can have them... Like, you can even like bring the mechanics in. If somebody gets a particularly good hit in, then the opponent, the the person they're fighting, you can go, well, I'll fill in a segment of that pie chart because they're realizing, oh, maybe I'm outmatched. Maybe I should surrender. Maybe I should realize this is this is not for me. Or maybe if they use a spell or a particular magic item or something, they go, oh, oh, I'm really not prepared for this. That's a Absolutely. really good... It's kind of... It reminds me of the skill challenges in... Um, that keep getting mentioned a lot from fourth edition and from earlier and people keep trying to bring into fifth edition and I find difficult to use. But that idea of the combat is almost secondary. The combat is just the mechanics of it. Exactly. That's just the way of keeping score or, you know, traffic tracking time. And the skill challenge itself is you're trying to convince this person to stand down. Exactly. I've just had an idea for doing with a dragon. That would be so cool. That would be very, very fun. Um, Yeah, so that's, I I think, what we've essentially seen here. We have seen one of those skill challenges, which is also very, very key for those sort of downtime uh, sequences. Yeah. Because they feel a little bit lower stakes than full-on turn-by-turn combat it's um yeah it's good fun yeah and honestly it's a good way to vary things up it also means that during a period where you might not be rolling all that much you do have a section that will you know speak to the little lizard part in our brains that are just like I want to roll dice, I want to have numbers and I want to see numbers do the thing and go up Um, yeah yeah. do you show show the party the pie chart or do you just have it no and but uh, would you describe like it working like as they half full maybe they start like there's something in their eyes that says oh they're starting to listen to you but they're still not convinced kind of kind of voice Okay, cool. Yeah, because I feel that's that's important. Let them know that it's working, like their their tactics are working. Yeah, so like, let's say you have a group of around about like five guards, and suddenly you see, not the guy that you were aiming for, but one of their nearby blokes sort of be like, hey, maybe we should not, or hey hey, boss, like what's what's going on? Like, I feel like this is going a little bit worse than we thought. Um, yeah, at the, very, I, at the very least, some sort of tangible effect. I certainly have an intro encounter where it's combat, and there's always at least one character who's like, "Hey, I just want to yell at them and say you're over undermatched here. You're going to get wiped out." And most of the time, no, it's like this is a, a encounter that could kill them. Yeah. Um, but when the opponents are outnumbered, I have them roll for it. And yep. if they roll particularly well, a couple of the subordinates are like, oh, maybe maybe I let someone else run in first. Maybe Absolutely. I'm not the first stormtrooper through the door. The boss of the encounter is always like, no, no, we're sticking around until he's dead. The others will stick around. But it's like, mm-hmm. maybe I let someone else go first. Maybe it's only two people who attack in the first round rather than three. Hmm. Absolutely. And I think that's also a key thing. There are going to be very, very few creatures um that are going to fight to the death you see it in slime there when a creature fights to the death that's a big moment whereas a lot of the times and this is something that i've taken from a book called uh, these monsters know what they're doing um yeah. absolutely Michael fantastic Shea. book 
Yeah. Um, would recommend for any DM. Oh, pardon me. Um, any DM that does feel like their encounters are a little bit like I hit them, they hit me, and it goes back and forth for an hour. Yeah. Uh, but essentially, each creature type is going to want to go towards a certain conclusion. So, for example, most humanoids, uh, most sentient thinking things, are going to be going into combat because they want something out of the party. This might be for the party to... Something as simple as, like, there's a bar brawl, and you want the party to basically stand down or give you money or pay for your drinks, stuff like that. The second where it gets to around about the halfway point for most sentient creatures, or hell, even for beasts that are going after food, they're going mm -hmm. to be like, okay, I am feeling not great. I've been beaten up more than I have not been beaten up. I'm probably going to start either negotiating or running away. Yeah, running away um, more often. Absolutely. It's surprising so, how often in a published module from Wizards of the Coast, it will say something like, this is the creature's lair and it will fight to the death. Yeah, absolutely. Um, thankfully, like if the better ones, honestly, are the ones where they turn around and be like, okay, once three of the bandits have been killed, hmm. the other three are going to start running. Yeah. Um, I... That's honestly what we saw with Rimuru and the Ogres, where essentially when it got reduced to half or above half of the, let's say, the overall party HP, which is their numbers, mm -hmm. that's when they started being being like, okay, I need to either use... You need to what? You need Bad. to what? Or... <laughs> yeah. All yeah, of that cut out. All of that cut out. But I, I think we got the gist. Oh, I think yeah. the gist is it did get to that point where one of the ogres particularly was like, no, no, I will stay here and you go. Yeah. Like it was that, that attitude of not everyone has to die today. Let's mm. think about what their story is. What were they trying to achieve from this? If they can't do that, what's their fallback position? What's their next thing that they're trying to achieve? And they're trying to achieve, make sure the ogre and princess get away or have uh, some form of safety. And that's what yeah. he's going to do. Absolutely. Now, speaking of ogres, mm -hmm. this is probably me being like, okay, so Japan ogres are different from European ogres. Um, it's more like slime ogres are different to um, any other ogres. I think Rimuru does mention that. I was expecting these guys to be all burly and jacked. And stuff. Yeah. I mean, yeah. he says, I expected to be jacked. It's like, well, one of them is pretty jacked. Yeah. But then you've got the other ones that are just like armor. Yeah. It's like, I'm just but a warrior. And... Please continue your thoughts. I... I'm interested how you treat ogres in your game. Like, there's... The, the, this is a particularly a D&D &D thing. That ogres in D&D &D are these massive brutes who aren't that smart. Like, they're just kind of... Like, the image of them is this half-dressed thug with, like, a big club just kind of roaring. And it's like... Mm. So you're more like the cave troll from, from Lord of the Rings than anything else. Exactly. Which is interesting to me because a lot of the art, a lot of the minis that you get from other games, ogres have their own societies, they have their villages, they have, like, nations... And it's like, I kind of prefer that. I'd like to have an ogre bandit boss. He's not just the dumb muscle. He's like this yeah. cunning monster. Like he's got pets. He's got followers. It's like he's not just the person they send in when they need a door knocked down. Yeah. Like they're having these different levels of the ogres here. It's like, well, they've got each of They've got their own personalities. They've got their own adventuring party, basically. Mm -hmm. that 
I prefer an ogre like that, and I feel like they've kind of been done dirty by the most recent D&D. Absolutely. So that's where we sort of continue with the, uh, with the discussion, where encounters are going to be a lot more interesting, especially after you've gotten past the sort of beginning tutorial stage. Because actually, I think this is the first time in that time I got reincarnated as a slime Time slime. Rimuru, yeah. yeah, that time slime. That Rimuru has had to go up against thinking tactically sound opponents. I um, mean, he had the bandits like, or the, the bullies on the way into the um the Dwarven Kingdom. Yeah. But, but they like, don't really care. End, though, yeah, those are like guys that were just wanting to start trouble and steal stuff from you. These guys are like we are coordinated. We are essentially a party. And yeah. that's why, honestly, I agree with you. Um, to have a high-level enemy that is just a big old brute is honestly doing not only your players an injustice, but yourself an injustice. Well, that's because... the thing, that even in, in um, D&D, they're not a high-level brute. Like, they're just mm. another monster. Like, the zombie ogre is kind of a bodyguard for... You can use it as necromancies or things like that, but it's not... But The zombie ogre is a better combatant than the regular ogre. Yeah. And it's like, a first-level party can take on an ogre as long as the ogre doesn't get any lucky hits in. Yeah. It's like, these are these are base level, you go out, you kill the ogre kind of thing. It's like, no, I don't want an ogre like that. I want them to be intelligent. I want them to be like a monster. This is the thing that you warn your kids about. You don't trust the ogres. You don't like go in the woods because there could be an ogre. It's not just something you can outrun or out trick very easily. Mm. And that's that's the thing. It becomes a situation where... You're just doing the same hitting back and forth that is going to... Like, we're now in the situation when it comes to that time slime where they're now adapting the second light novel. Mm-hmm. So think of it as we've essentially... We're, we're past the tutorial. We're past mm-hmm. that first point where people are learning the combat systems, all that sort of stuff. Hell, we see it with Rimuru where suddenly, you know, all these collected abilities like the Paralysis Breath and the Arnosaurus stuff are coming together and starting to be used. Yeah, and... stuff that came on the first first session is now actually getting mentioned and used because he hasn't done that before. Exactly. And he's having to use all these tactics in response to the fact that he's now up against a party of combatants that have these wildly varied abilities. And mm. that's when it starts to get interesting. If you start having different tactics going along, I mean, it's going to be harder for you as a DM. God, yeah. Yeah. But it's also going to make your your players think a lot more. The idea of a rival party is probably one of the best uh, opponents for a level five forward group. Oh, yeah. I... I love having rivals in a in a group like in a, in a campaign, and the best I think it's um, oh, what is the what's the critical role campaign? Uh, Call the, of the um, Netherdeep. Yes, Call of the Netherdeep actually has the rules for creating rivals and like mm-hmm. having them progress at the same level uh, as the party. Mm-hmm. It's like that. I I adore that idea. Or even if it's just like okay, so you've got a monk in your party. How do you feel when, well, maybe the boss has a monk as well? Yeah. Like, what do you do in that situation? Do the two monks go at it? Or do you suddenly have all your skills getting used against the barbarian? Like, the things that you normally take out the big hitter with. Mm Mm-hmm. Suddenly, you're now having to get the party to start facing the tactics that they've been using the entire time and start thinking of, well, essentially start thinking of each other as a party. Because the only way you're going to cover up those weaknesses uh, um, is by using each other. Mm. I did so, have one one combat where there was a mirror effect where the party had to fight themselves. Uh, um, I do love those. 
And it was interesting because they kind of just did the whole, well, I'll just swap. Like person A goes to person B and person B goes to person A. And it's like the the wizard did not stand a chance against the barbarian. Yep. It was like, yes, but then we have the druid going up against the other barbarian. So it kind of works out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Definitely having an idea for one of my campaigns, but I, I won't mention it here just in case they're listening in. Yes. Um, but yeah. So having rival parties, having those tactics are certainly the thing that is going to start signaling to your party and also help you out as well with creating more interesting tactics, um, which is honestly yeah. where D&D starts to shine. You yeah. can't, it can't be a numbers game the whole time because honestly, by and large, your party is going to win out in sheer numbers. Mm. They just have more turns. They have more um, actions to take. And unless they are up against something that is absolutely outside of their range, chances are they're going to debate it. I've found something like they, I mean, kind of D&D is about beating the monster. Mm, like most exactly. of the time it's about the heroes beating the monster. So you do want them to win at the end, but you just want a cool story leading up to that point. Exactly. And when it comes to tactics, I'm always a bit worried because I don't play chess well. I'm not great at war games. When it comes to these like military combat actions, I do find it quite difficult. But one thing I found works really well with certain creatures is the cool thing they can do is generally tied in with the story. And it's generally something that makes a tactical advantage for them as well. Mm. Like, if that can be built into the stat block, if that can be built into how they act, then you just do all the cool stuff that they can do. And it feels like they're doing it tactically. Absolutely. Like um, there's an example with the dragon's legendary action in fifth edition, they can use a wing attack and Mm. they go up into the air, but it also knocks down everyone around them. Yeah. And that's just something they do. And it makes perfect sense because the dragon is not going to want to sit down on the ground and get attacked by all these little, you know, two legs or whatever they want to call them. So it makes sense. Use your wings, knock everyone down, fly up into the air, and then you've got your breath weapon and you use the breath weapon next turn. So it's the kind of cool things that a dragon can do and are right there in the stat block. And you just got to put them together. Exactly. Most things, if they've been designed well, um, will have a unique thing. Uh, if you just look at their stats, if you look at what they have as actions and bonus actions, that is going to give away who they're going to go, go towards and what they're going to aim to do. So if they have a fly speed, chances are they're going to be flying. If they have a um, something that reduces strength, they are going to go after the stronger of the party. Yeah, because they're hungry. Exactly. They want that strength. Exactly. Um, I mean, if you want to be really mean, you go for the weakest of the party because usually that if you're doing a strength drain, that's a shadow. And if you get your strength reduced to zero, you die. That's if you want to be a mean DM. Um, I When I do something like that, I go after everyone. Like yeah. I'll have one for everyone. And it's like, great. You got five shadows for a five person party. They each latch onto one. The thing is, it's going to do a lot more damage to the wizard than it is to the barbarian. The barbarian might take theirs out immediately, but that wizard is going to feel messed up. And suddenly you've got someone who's out of the fight and that shadow can go after someone else. And now it's maybe not as easy, but it feels like a threat. Yeah. And that's the thing. I think, honestly, for a low-level party, this is the thing. Shadows are the coolest. Shadows are the bloody coolest. They they are the first taste of what D&D can be tactically. They make you think beyond the HP bar and make you go, oh, crap. Like, I have other resources here that can be drained. Mm. And And that can just kill me immediately. Yeah. (laughs) I, I love shadows because they're very evocative. Like that idea of just a shadow coming off the wall and attacking you. Mm Mm-hmm. I love it to give other reasons why it's a shadow. Like it's not just some sort of undead creature. It's you've walked through a door and now a spell's been cast on you that your own shadow is attacking you. And if you kill yeah. it, you don't have a shadow anymore. Yep. 
Like there's so much to do with shadows that um really creepy. Really creepy. I tend to play fighters and strength based fighters at that. So shadows yep. are like extra terrifying for me. Yes. Oh man. I I I have used shadows in that sort of sense as well. I um so the whole concept behind it was in this campaign, I wanted to have creatures that uh, evoked a certain part of the human body. Um, so they've been attacked by skeletons, which would represent bones. They've been attacked by vampires, which would represent blood. Um, you know, maybe you'd have a banshee that represents voices. Yeah, um, Some, something shadows... like a troglodyte for stench or for smell. Exactly, exactly. So when it comes down to your uh, shadow, that is also another thing that could be very, very evocative. Um, so that, that's always, what I had there. I've always wanted to do a um, a group of undead creatures that looks like a zombie. So you just have like this shambling like creature coming forward and then the mm -hmm. skin just kind of slides off and attacks you and the skeleton keeps attacking you as well. Then the shadow mm -hmm. rises up and attacks you as well. So it's like four or five different creatures, all undead focused that have just like formed together into this one being. And that's exactly it. That's actually something I did as well. So essentially they had seen the skeletons, they had seen the shadows, they had also seen um, the sort of mass of drained muscle that, uh, you know, these skeletons had emerged from. Mm. So like these were completely boneless, but there is also a creature that got introduced in Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft called a boneless. They went to an inn they one of the NPCs mentioned, oh, I really don't like this place. Like the the, the blankets feel leathery. Ugh. And they wake <laughs> up and they have like they are constricted by boneless. Oh, like, that's so creepy. Skin. Yeah. So ugh. like it's so much fun. Um, oh. but yeah, and I think that's the another thing. Like you um in that time slime sort of this first arc we saw a lot of situations where the encounter happens and then the story happens afterwards yeah we are now experiencing what is the ideal of encounters which is make sure that the story is somehow happening during the combat the story is being told through the combat you know, suddenly you're seeing these characters that, you know, you look around at these allies that have already been attacked, and it's just like, wait, these guys have been put to sleep. Mm. Um, as I noticed that as well. Being killed. Um, mm. Or, you know, you see one of the guys, and you're fighting one of them, and one of them goes, okay, you guys need to run. I'm going to hang back and take on this guy. And just like, wait a second, that's a heroic action. Um, that's, that's a good guy's thing. What's, what's going on here? I think um, always and... have combat that like advances the story. Exactly. exactly. Like in, um, in some small way like that. And, and it, like it, it, it can be something is, simple. Yeah. It can be something simple as you get to see the consequences of your actions, because mm. let's say, I don't know, maybe it wasn't ogres in this case. Maybe there was a giant monster that because of the last last thing now monsters are able to wander through here mm. it's like you get to say okay this is just a combat and i'm just doing things but now i know a little bit more about the world now i know a little bit more about what my actions have done and they do also note that there are monsters and beasts that are now moving from outer regions into this sort of more fertile area which will be explained yeah. a little bit further on but yeah, there's definitely some sort of exodus that's happening towards here. Yeah, uh, like so if, yeah, even yeah. if it wouldn't have happened had there not been monsters out there, like Rango wouldn't have been the one to, to go with them, to protect them. Mm. So that's Rimuru true. wouldn't have been able to be contacted. They'd have just been wiped out. So it, there's a reason why the combat was happening to the party as mm. much as 
it's not just oh yeah and then you'll go out in the woods and there's a combat yeah it's like you set you set all this up so the story means the story comes across a combat rather than is forced upon it yeah remember what we said in previous things there's there's no like and then is silly and therefore yeah. is great yeah yeah that's that is great um, Oh, um, there's a couple of other things I want to talk about in here. I don't, so I don't absolutely. want to get too bogged down on that. I want to talk, I mean, we've talked about names before, but this, mm. this second episode does have a bit more of the naming concepts and why that's important. Um, because Rimmer is all like, oh, I'll just name you six ogres because I'm going to do you a favor. And mm. it doesn't work out as well because they're more powerful than goblins. And look, look, mm. okay. I'm not. I'm not going to get into the eugenics and the power levels of monsters in in anime, yeah, but unfortunately, an inherent mm. thing when it comes to RPGs and stuff like that. If you start to translate mechanical things across to real life environments, that yeah. can be a danger. Thankfully, yeah. yeah, slime doesn't get too in the weeds about that, but it is something to keep in mind. Mm-hmm. My my problem being with orcs. Orcs are just stupid pigs, and they have no can't even take on ogres. You know what? Yeah. Don't talk shit about orcs. Orcs are my my yeah. boys. Um, oh man, if you like your orcs, you are going to love the upcoming episodes. Oh good, yeah, I love my orcs. Yeah, it's definitely a preconception from these guys as opposed to the truth yeah. of the world. That's what I was hoping. Uh, but when after he after Rimuru passes out and he's like, oh, I didn't expect that to take that much out of him. There was that chance for them all to introduce themselves and yeah. like say, well, you don't remember what you named me. Here's my name. And I love that because running a lot of one shots with people who don't know each other. That's what we do at Fortress at Fortress Emporium. Uh, come down and play games, blah, blah, blah. They're Sunday, yada, yada. every single Sunday. Yeah, yeah. It, <laughs> this is an opportunity to introduce the party to each other. Mm-hmm. Like, this is a great way to go, hey, I look like this. I did this. This is a bit of my backstory. Here's my name. And kind of go around because you're introducing yourself to an NPC. Mm-hmm. And Absolutely. yeah, I just I just really love that. It's like almost a session zero saying, hey, because I've now been named by this this great slime, um, I can, I can, I now have the powers. I now have my class levels. Absolutely. I am now a fighter in this thing because I have received a name. Uh, and names, again, becoming an issue because we get to meet uh, Gibberu? Gab- Gabaru? Gabiru, yeah. Gabiru. Oh, my God. Oh, I hate man, this. I hate Gabiru. this character. I hate this character so much. He is such a dick for so long. And then oh, is he gets better. Okay, good. He does get better. He does get better. He just... I get what they're going for. Like... Mm-hmm. He's the one that's got the name in his clad, and he's all special. But it's just, oh, no. Oh, yeah, this is, uh, it essentially comes into the point of, okay, so we have a situation of, we have Rimuru saying like, okay, I am giving everybody a name. Everybody Ooh. gets their name. I have the ability to do that, and... That means that no one here is more special than anyone else. Yeah. Um, going back to that collectivist theme. Um, yeah, and Gibberu's like, I'm special because I have a name. My father yep. doesn't have a name. He's just yep. the leader of our clan. And I, I did like that he still has that insecurity. He doesn't want to replace his father. He just wants to be recognized as better than everyone. Mm-hmm. Like, this isn't him going, I'm going to destroy my father and take over because it's my rightful. It's like, no, just recognize that I'm good, Dad. Yep. And he's got his, like, little posse there uh, cheering him on. Yeah, the one's like, you should be in charge. You should be in charge, so Gibberu. I'm like, oh, this is how insurrections start. Yep. 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 Cool. I, I cool, cool, cool. I love the um, English dub. Of oh, I loved guys. it, too. I, I thought that was great. Um, yeah. This, like, one of them... That has the Rufus voice. Um, that is he's one of my absolute favorites. <laughs> just, I love just I love voice. where it, when it pans over them or after he's like, I will return, I will defeat these orcs, and I will have my I will become the leader of the clan. Everyone's like, Yay, yay, go Sigibiru. One's like, I'm glad I thought of it. 
Oh man, it's just but, oh, I yeah, love but, I love background dubbing voices. Sometimes ever since there's a first episode of Xena, um, yeah. which is one of the weirdest things you'll ever see. There's a crowd of people, and the bandit king has like gathered them together. And he decides to fight Xena, and he leaps up and is like standing on the people, like he's standing yeah. on their heads and like pushing their hats down and stuff. And someone yells, "Use my shoulders, Xena, so she can stand on them as well and That's fight this guy." Dude. Oh, it's so great! So every time I see something like that, I'm like, "Use my shoulders, Xena." <laughs> That's the thing. There's there's also just something to be said of just the one weird little NPC. Just yeah. the the little guy. There there's nothing that beats out a little guy that just might be just so entirely for the party, for mm. example, that just cheers them on to make them feel like, yeah, we're feeling good. You can have all the power fantasy in the world. You can have amazing roles, all that sort of stuff. If you've got this one little dude that's just like, yes, it's a great job. Um, then all of a sudden the party's just like, we're going to keep on doing this. We're going to make this little guy happy. Honestly, I think this is why so many parties adopt goblins. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> they just because... they just want this little brother to run around after them, being like, "Oh my gosh, you're the best!" Exactly. Exactly. Give, give your man, give your parties a a little guy to just cheer them on. Not they don't necessarily have to be like with them all the time, but just this one NPC that shows up and is essentially the cabbages guy, but mm. like in a good way. Mm. So not this guy that the party is absolutely ruining oh, hate, his yeah. life, but just one that you, you've given this guy a purpose. Yeah. Like this, this guy's life was crap before he met you. And now he is like just sitting there with pom-poms in the background. <laughs> I like to go the other way. I yeah. do like to have the cabbage guy, like someone whose yeah. life is made progressively worse by the party. But I also yeah. like to have someone, this is particular, I'm running a bard campaign um, mm. this evening, actually. And oh, they, have the, they have their manager, who is kind of that guy. Like he's oh one trying to find God. them work and he's kind of show, but he is the, the classic, he's a goblin. He's like the very like very stingy businessman or the dingy businessman too. He's always got the cigar. He's got like the out of the ill-fitting suit. He's got like the fake hair and he's just saying things like, okay, so I got you a new job, but just so you know, don't fuck it up this time. Like he's always like putting them down because they're supposed to be, they're meant to be, um, they're meant to be just out of art school or just out of music school bards who have formed a band. Yeah, and I just like amazing. that idea of the manager who's always getting them work, but also like very much no, 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 you work for me. But then they've yeah. got their roadie, which is very much that yeah, I stick around. I like your music. Like you guys are really yeah. good. I'm going to do this for free, kind of stuff. Hell, and then you can go completely the opposite direction of there's suddenly the stalker character. The oh, okay, that that's going to be dangerous. New. Yeah. Um, but like, um, if you ever played Mass Effect, the um, that one guy that really likes Commander Shepard and wants to join the army because of him. I have I haven't played it, but I love that I idea of the super it. fan. Yeah, it goes to all yeah. the gigs, like has the t-shirts and signs, and like I'm like part of the band, right? Yeah. It, oh, if you um, another example would be um, Syndrome in Incredibles. Yeah. Like um, Incrediboy. Um, yeah. Suddenly, you have this person coming along that starts causing issues for the party because they've been doing so much good. Um, oh. And they start like, especially if you put it for a like a lawful good character, if you want them to focus on a particular character, um, either make it the character that could not give less of a shit. Um, mm -hmm. If you want that character gone very quickly. Or if you want to really challenge the patience of the lawful good character, 
Um, but uh, just quickly, if you are looking at an example of a great fantasy um, manager, I would recommend looking at a show called Zombieland Saga. Okay. Uh, it is another anime um, where basically it's an idol anime. But um, an idol girls... anime? An island yeah. anime? Or an, an idol? idol. Idol, oh, okay, yeah, like, idol, like idol, yep, idol. as in pop idol. Yep. Yeah, I got that, yep. Yeah, yeah. Um, so essentially what you have with the Bard campaign there. Um, mm -hmm. And essentially, he is in charge of these guys, like these these girls, because he found a book of the dead. <laughs> oh, no. And they're all zombies. Of course they are. All the idols are zombies. <laughs> of course they are. Um, and he oh, my is God. unhinged. He is oh my absolutely God. unhinged. That sounds um, amazing. Yeah, so would recommend if you need some inspiration for an unhinged manager um, managing non-human um, a, a non-human band. Yeah, I do want to do an undead campaign one time where everyone plays a skeleton or a zombie or a mummy or something. That'd be yeah, really well, fun. Someday. Well, Van Richten's has that. So Yeah, yeah. Um, so, now... We got a little bit of time left, and I do want to yes. talk. Well, actually, I was going to talk about the Orc Lord and the idea of unique monsters. Yes, but I'm wondering whether that might be something to talk about in a future episode. No, you know what? I this one's called the Orc Lord. Let's talk about it now. Yeah, we'll, we'll touch a little bit on it. It's going to yeah. be. We can flesh it out more later, but yes, uh, if you want to talk about just the concept of unique monsters. Yeah, unique monsters to me is a very role-playing game thing like a video game thing like Absolutely. a very mmo sort of thing which frustrates me to no end in fiction mm -hmm. like the idea that this is just a game that they're all in does not does not sit well with me um i'm on the record when it comes to isekai it's like just put them in a new world it doesn't have to be video game related it's just so you can relate to the audience it's fine it's fine it's yeah. fine um but it's to, appeal to the media that they've already done, it's, yeah. it's essentially the same as like, oh, doing a superhero thing. Yeah. There is an RPG called 13th Age, which mm. does have a character called the Orc Lord, uh, mm. because it bases itself around these icons. And yep. essentially, you all have your own connections with these icons. And I just, uh, it struck me because the orc lord being a thing but it is very much these are unique beings in your realm these are yeah. creatures that are special for whatever reason they are things that's they're, they're the storm dragon they're the myths that are around them and having that idea of yeah your world would have certain unique creatures or entities that yeah. you kind of talk about like these are when you have something where it's named, it's like, yeah, they are named. Like, it's not you give a name to someone like Rimuru or whatever it was he named all the others. Um, their name is the Orc Lord. Yeah. Like, um, that I really like, where it's like, this isn't a unique monster because there's only one of them. They are unique because they are powerful and because there are myths about them. Yeah. So, unfortunately, I am sorry to say that um, the Orc Lord does have a name. and has He doesn't. Given a it's name. just Orc Lord. Um, <laughs> I'm refusing but, to admit it. But there is a certain... Um, I think I mentioned a while back that actually within the um, concept... Well, we even see it amongst the, the kobold there. Um, that there are ideas of a certain sort of class hierarchy... Um, of the different monsters. Yeah. I think so, there's like sort of again, having an mm. S tier. Like, it's like Ifrit. Ifrit wasn't given a name. No. Um, there's certain things that just have names because they are the the force of the universe that everything yeah, else revolves around. Uh, there's a character in season two that is... No spoilers. Sort of the, yeah, no spoilers, but that is the uh, pragmatic ideal of this idea. Um, but yeah, of the concept of having creatures that are just legendary, and mm. it also means that you can go really into the build-up towards them. You you want like you, you want your characters to be fighting a dragon at the end of it all, 
man, you better make sure that that dragon is mentioned. Yeah. Um, and I like, there's a, a group of, um, oh, it's Steamforge games, which bring out the epic encounters. Um, Ooh, yeah. And you get some really great minis out of the, particularly when it's like Lair of the Goblin Queen or something like that. Or um, I think it's Webs of the Spider Tyrant. That's right. And yes, I do know the one. I absolutely love the minis, but a lot of the time they're so much bigger than just regular minis. You can make it, this is the progenitor of all spiders. Yeah. Or if you heard of a manticore, this is the manticore. Like yeah. you've never encountered anything like this before. You don't know what else is going on with it. This is just like a completely new creature. Of course, you as players know that it's a manticore and what it can do, but it really does make it this epic one-off unique experience because it's they've like got having, all these abilities. It's like having Shelob, for example. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's particularly true in D&D of monstrosities, things that are just so peculiar so out of the realm of possibility like you don't have the owlbear you have a group of owlbears but you might have the red dragon there's only one red dragon in this world and this is that one or it might yeah. be might be um the unicorn yeah absolutely i think it's also a great way to properly use the monster manual um to go back to its core roots of having mythical creatures yeah um especially in an environment that is already so high magic especially something like 5e where there's just so much crap going on everywhere mm. um that to have something that just gets down to the base of it where it's just like no nah, this was this was the thing like and explaining what makes it special and building it all up it honestly becomes a little bit monster hunter doesn't it yeah yeah you got to figure out a bit about it as well it's not just um well, cool, we hit it with fire. It's like, well, figure out what's the best way to hit it. Yeah. And yeah. you can really start getting into the weeds of like, okay, what are the different legends? Yeah. All um, the different things. Um, yeah, what do you know about that. it? I actually done that in one of my campaigns recently where like, you know, there's vampires and stuff around, but Ooh. there's a triad of about three different vampires that are the um, the epitome of a certain breed of vampire. There's mm -hmm. your noble vampire that's in charge of like the big old vampire nation um, and has been for thousands of years. Um, you have um, a vampire that's sort of like a cryptid that sort of hangs out in the farmlands and is given offerings by the local farmers and has um, always functioned as a form of protection. Um, and then you have the, the hedonist vampire that is sort of just done everything like they've um explored um everything you can do in the world they've um you know had relations with everyone and every sentient thing like they've they've lived mm. and um like that that's your hedonist that's your like the vampire of sexuality um type creature and um yeah you can really yeah. eke a lot out of myths and legends just by going okay what what is the ideal of this particular thing well i like, think this is also interesting because you give something a name and it does become unique but that is kind of what you're saying that you have these vampires which are just basic creatures but now you've got these three which are the epitome of something and yeah. they have their names and they are unique amongst vampires they're not just yeah. oh it's another vampire it's like building up the creatures that already exist and going no no but this one's special yeah yeah it's cool um, it's cool um uh, i i feel like you've got more to say but i'm going to cut you off because we're running out of time um and we st we still got one thing left to do that we always do and that is the natural not not the natural the uh the crit hit or the crit fail award uh where we pick someone who either did a critical hit a critical success mm -hmm. or a critical failure during this episode um mm -hmm. i'm gonna go first this week i have chosen go ahead go right. uh it's going to be i think we we checked out the character's name um this is the yeah. little pink-haired ogre girl uh who is sheena sheena sorry sheena. 
Princess Shuna. Oh, okay, Princess Shuna. Um, I'm gonna give I'm gonna give her the critical success award for realizing that uh, Rimuru was just kind of standing there and diff- had a different mask on from the the Majin that destroyed their village. So maybe don't kill him. Yep. Um, well done on your history check, uh, Shinu. Yep. Oh, Shuna. Shuna. Uh, very well done. That's a critical success because everyone else is being fucking stupid. So yep. well done to you. Uh, Caleb, mm-hmm. who have you picked? I am going to pick Hakuro. Oh, um, Hakuro. So, yes. Which one's so, Hakuro? Uh, the old guy. The Oh, okay. Um, Zan- the Auron figure, yeah. Exactly. Uh, the Ronin type. Yeah. Um, so with Hakuro... I think he got a natural 20 on the hit to take off um, Rimuru's arm. Oh, but yeah. It just so happens that it's a situation where the party that you have is so low leveled compared to the creature that they're fighting that just managing to get that hit in was that natural 20. Because otherwise the armor class is just so beyond you. Yeah. And well, it's also like he used his stealth. He got his advantages in. He like waited until he was distracted, and then he used it. So yeah, he really he worked for that natural twenty. He did. He did indeed. That was full advantage, inspiration, bless, whatever he could get. <laughs> um, oh no, he he. That's well done for him. I did like him actually. That's a yeah, character type I tend to enjoy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I've got types. a. I've got a quote from um, when I watched a, a partner play Final Fantasy X and Oren was very much just kind of there. And yeah. it was, hi, I'm Oren. I fuck shit up. And that was basically yeah. what he did. Everyone else was like missing and like not doing very well. As soon as Oren entered the battlefield, everything died. Yeah, I remember. Because he was just actually, there for, he's there for it. I remember watching my dad because I, what would I get stuck on? I got stuck on sort of before the Blitzball tournament. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. That's like, early in the game. Yeah, dude, I was like, what, this is 2000? So Okay, I, okay, yeah. I know I'm old. <laughs> but no, I would have been around about five years old at this point. Um, yep. Uh, sorry to make you feel even older. Yep, that's um, fine. But I remember seeing my dad do it and watching that scene where Oren just... It just like, nah, my arm's not broken. I just do this to, <laughs> yeah. to screw with you. Um, that the was... shrug off the the um the sling and just go. No, no, I can use both arms. Yep, the He's absolute so great. peak peak character design. Oh, Aaron was amazing. Uh, so before we gush more about Final Fantasy X, let us wrap up. Um, thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Caleb, for coming on and talking with me about this. Uh, oh, come by pleasure. next week because uh, next yes. week. Gabaroo is here! Yes, sir, Gabiroo! Look, Smithers, Garbo is coming! <laughs> Garbo! Uh, so, I thought that was the quote. Oh, uh, yes. Uh, uh, so, anyway, for episodes 11 and 12 of Time Slime, um, hug your friends. They're, they're very important to you. Um, Please leave a rating and review for wherever podcasts are found. Uh, that is appreciated as well. If you've got any questions about the podcast or want to write in and tell us how amazing we are, the email address is dndntvpod at gmail.com or it's at dndntvpod on Instagram where I've been posting sh- screen caps of the episode um, and people have been talking about that and some of the stuff we've spoken of here too. Uh, and this episode is brought to you by Masters of Alchemy, the premier game mastering service of Melbourne, where we currently run beginner sessions and intermediate sessions at Emporium Fortress Melbourne. That's probably the right way of saying that. Fortress Emporium, Emporium Fortress. Uh, every yeah, is there every Sunday? Uh, I can't remember how much it is, but if you go online and have a look, you can book tables and you can see a lot of the stuff that we're putting into practice from what we've talked about here uh, in actual Absolutely. adventures. Um, if you get me on the intermediate table, you might get a chance to play some um, Journeys Through the Radiant Citadel. Yeah, Journeys Through the Radiant Citadel. That's what I was trying to remember. Caleb, where else can people find you online? Uh, people can find me at What's a Caleb on Instagram. 
Um, they can also hire me at the mastersofalchemy.com website. Yeah. Uh, same with Jeremy here. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Um, yeah, that is fantastic. Where we're at the moment. That's what that's what we're doing. Um, you tell your friends, not just about Masters of Alchemy, but also about this podcast, so they can enjoy it too. Uh, but until next time, stay safe, be kind to yourselves, may all your hits be crits, and we'll see you next time you're reincarnated as a slime. See you next time, guys. Have a good one. This podcast is recorded on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. Always was, always will be. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging.